God is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Amen? Amen? Thanks for coming to my sermon. (laughs) If it was that simple. But unlike this tiny little shield, God is far more effective at protecting us. I mean, one thing I never understood about the Captain America movies, I'm a big Marvel fan, is this thing is tiny. Like, why don't they ever aim for his legs? I mean, look at all that real estate right there. I feel like the only way this is effective is if you, like, go like that, and he only does it, like, once in the movie. That's besides the point. It's just a sermon illustration. God is shield to those who take refuge in him. Amen? Not necessarily a Captain America shield. Good evening for those of you who don't know me, which I think all of you know me. My name is Doug. I'm the worship director here at Calvary, and they have given me the opportunity to come share the word with you. So tonight we're going to be in Psalm 4. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 4. But before we get into that, I want to give you a little bit of background on the form of this psalm. So a psalm is a song. The book of Psalms is a book of songs. So there are different types of psalms, but the two primary ones are psalms of lament and psalms of praise. Now, the book of psalms is also divided up into like five or six books. I think it's six. And we're in book one. And towards the beginning of psalms in general, you see a lot more psalms of lament. And psalms of lament are when the author is bringing a request, a concern, a complaint, a burden to God. But then at the end of Psalms, and as we get midway through Psalms, you start to see a lot more Psalms of praise. And so it ends out being a book about praising God through the difficulties of life. And what I really love about Psalm 4 is that it follows that form. It starts out as a Psalm of lament and turns into praise in the midst of difficulty. So something else to know about Psalm 4 is that there is debate on whether Psalm 4 connects with Psalm 3. And the reason why is if you look before verse 1, you've got that title there. It says, Evening Prayer of Trust in God for the Choir Director on Stringed Instruments, a Psalm of David. Now, Psalm 3 also has something similar. What Psalm 3 says is, Morning Prayer of Trust in God, a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So you see the morning prayer and the evening prayer. Psalm 4 doesn't specifically say whether or not it's in that same time period of when David was fleeing Absalom. To me, it makes sense because there's a lot of the same things going on throughout there. And you see the morning prayer and you see the evening prayer. For me, it makes sense. Uh, Some other people disagree with that. But what is cool about those titles there is that it's actually part of the original Hebrew. So that is not something that the translators put in there. That's a part of of the scripture, which I thought is pretty neat. So, you've got the evening prayer of trust in God. And then here it says, for the choir director. So, some suppose this to be Lord God himself, as he is the author and creator of music. But others uh, suppose that um, this is referring to the Levitical choir that was around in David's time. And it's actually something that David started. Uh, If you've ever heard the name Asaph, he was a part of that Levitical choir. So that makes sense to me. Um, and then they would take these psalms and then they would actually sing them. 
And so it would be a way to encourage people and to, and to teach them the word. So, and then after that, it says on stringed instruments. Now, if you look throughout scripture and see what it's talking about when it says stringed instruments, this is most commonly referring to lyres and harps. Everybody knows what a harp is. But a lyre is like just a smaller version of that. Just kind of like that. It's just more like that. You see the pictures of David? Whatever. So, there are many songs throughout Scripture. In fact, there's at least 185 songs in the Bible. And there are many figureheads in Scripture that use the form of song in order to communicate. Moses, Solomon, Hannah, Samson, Mary, Paul and Silas, Asaph, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Habak, Habakkuk. Huh, I practiced that one. That didn't go so well. Either way, you get the point. A lot of people throughout Scripture using songs. And so it just kind of highlights and emphasizes the fact that songs are important to God. Songs are a, a communication tool. In fact, in my own words, I like to say music can convey emotions and thoughts in a way that words alone cannot fully express. So for me, um, you know that I, I do worship here on Sunday, most Sundays and Wednesdays, uh, but also for fun, I make my own music on the side. And I've been doing it since I was 16, and in fact, the very first song I ever wrote uh, was about food, because I love food, and I just needed something to really express how much I love food. And, you know, I showed it to my friends, they're like, wow, Doug, that's fantastic, that's your first song, great. Uh, it would be cuter if it was like about a girl or something like that. And so, like, I tried changing the lyrics to make it about a girl, but it just, it just didn't work, because I was expressing my love for food. So, whatever, right? But as I've grown older, music has been one of those things throughout my life that I've used as a form of expression, as a form of processing for myself. Um, recently, I went through and uh, for my side project, uh, I wrote a bunch of songs about just my journey working through addiction and just the, the difficulty and the lows and the highs of that and, and reaching out to God. And so I love the book of Psalms, and I love this psalm in particular because you see how David expresses himself through that. So, I want to go ahead and read Psalm 4 in its entirety, so go ahead and take a look-see there, and I will go ahead and read. So, Psalm 4, evening prayer of trust in God. For the choir director on string instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call. O God of my righteousness, you have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart. 
more than when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. So looking at verse 1 there, you have relieved me in my distress. Notice there, relieve, relieved is past tense. So David is remembering past times of when God has taken care of him. You know the old phrase, hindsight is twenty-twenty. Sometimes when we are in the midst of difficulty, remembering back to God's faithfulness provides comfort and encouragement in times of distress and trouble. And also, just as a, as a note for this whole psalm, I love that how when, when David is in this time of distress, whether it was in the situa- situation with Absalom chasing after him and his life being in danger, or whether people were just slandering him, his response is to turn to the Lord and to plead to him, to cry to him, to let his heart be known. I believe that should be our response too. Amen? Moving on to verse 2. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? Honor. Now, David is, is king of Israel, right? So a kingly position, lots of glory and honor associated with that. But David knew that any glory or honor that he had was given to him by God and was belonging to God alone. And, you know, we, we live in a society that's so driven off of appearance and status and success and power that sometimes we can get lost in it all. But as, as believers, we should be reminded that anything we have, any sort of status, power, was given to us. And we have a responsibility in that. So, but in his dominion, in honor as a king, his name is being slandered. But here, says, O son of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? He is calling out to those, he's calling them out, the people who are slandering him. And it appears that the way this was written is that he is speaking to these people from verse 2 through verse 5, the people who are, who are slandering, who are speaking against him. But there is a lot that we can take away from what he's saying to them as well as we are reading through this. So they are loving what is worthless. They are aiming at deception. You know that old phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? I don't believe in that. In fact, if you can read that little thing, I said, I quoted, some person who didn't know how to process their emotions. So, in this particular psalm, they're speaking of slander. Now, gossip and slander are different. They can be easily confused, and I wanted to talk about this because there is a difference, and the Bible speaks of them both. So, Gossip collects someone's secrets and passes them to others. Slander makes up its own secrets and broadcasts them wherever they will do the most harm. So, very rough illustration of the difference here. Um, Have you guys ever played the telephone game before? Are any of you familiar with that? So, gossip I think of more like a telephone game, 
but the original person who started the game didn't want that information going out in the first place. So you get, you know, your friends in a circle or you go in a line and one person starts off saying something and they pass it to the next person. And then it subsequently gets passed and passed and passed. And the last person, usually 95% of the time, has something completely different to say than the original intent. And so gossip works the same way. When those things about people that they didn't want shared are, are shared around, did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? By the time you get to the end of that, it could be looking completely different than the truth. And that can be harmful. That could be really harmful. Now, slander is also harmful, but it's more like, um, do you guys know what a yo mama joke is? Okay, half of you do. So um, I will give you an example. This is something I just found on the internet. This is not coming from my own mouth. Okay, all right. So uh, here's a yo mama joke. (laughs) Can't believe I'm doing this, whatever. (laughs) Here we go. You're not ready. (laughs) Yo mama so stupid, when they said, order in the court, she asked for fries and a shake. (laughs) That's really mean. That's really mean. Okay, here's one more. Yo mama so dumb, she thought a quarterback was a refund. Okay, so the nature of those, right, there's nothing that that person has to necessarily say that that's true. They're making that up about that person's mother. And they're saying that specifically to harm, specifically to make someone have a reaction and to say, ouch, that was, that was me. Don't bring my mother into this. Don't want to get at me, whatever, right? But you can see how both instances, gossip and slander, those are both bad things, and God condemns them both. Here in 2 Corinthians 12, I'll have it up on the screen. For I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish, and may be found by you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. One thing for us to remember is that we should be thoughtful and mindful about our speech, the way that we speak about others, the way that we speak about their situations, because God cares about our language. God cares about the way that we talk about others. So verse 3, the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. You know, when David's name is being slandered, he makes it a point to say that he's a godly man and that the Lord has set him apart and hears him. Now, there's a lot of instances of David in the Bible, and if you know anything about him, he's had kind of a wild ride, and uh, he's had a lot of controversy, a lot of scandal, um, but yet, He's remembered as a man after God's own heart. So, Paul actually brings him up in Acts 13, 22. I'm going to read this. It says, After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. So what made David, a man after God's own heart. Why is he remembered that way? 
It says, he's someone who will do all my will. So, what is the will of God then? Well, let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 22. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I really like that last line there. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We are all in this process of sanctification. And just like David, we are imperfect. But the way that we live our lives, the way that we get to know God we soak in his word. We truly seek to understand and know his will. Then that transforms us. And that allows us, when we do call out to God, as David does here, for us to truly have our heart and our mind aligned with his will. And we can truly say, your will be done. The Lord hears when I call to him, speaking of prayer. You know, sometimes it may not feel like God is answering our prayers. Sometimes it feels like our prayers are put into the back of the queue. Oh man, I hope he gets to this one eventually, you know. But one thing that's important for us to do is to see if we're doing anything that hinders our prayers. Now, throughout Scripture, there are a couple of examples, I've, I've, I've put them up here. If you want to go search out the scriptures for yourself later, just take a picture of that or I can, I can tell you afterwards. <clears throat> but there are different ways in which our actions can be hindering our prayers. Whether that's not abiding in Jesus, a bad marriage relationship, unconfessed sin, praying for things that are not according to his will, turning away from the counsel of God's word or trusting in the length or form of prayer. But sometimes, most times, we're, we're, we're doing all those things. We're, we're, we're not doing those things, right? Like we are trusting in God. We're, we're, we're making our marriage a priority. We are confessing sin. You know, we're, we're turning to God's word as opposed to turning away from it. But something to keep in mind and something that's important is to remember that sometimes God's answer is no. That's always hard for us. There is this other culture of Christianity, uh, healthy, wealthy, everything is always going to be well. You know, plant your seed and everything is just going to turn out great for you. You'll just end up losing your money. Sorry. But sometimes God says no. And so, we need to learn to trust him in that. I think of it like when a little kid asks for something from the parent when the parent knows that that could potentially be harmful to the kid. Um, here's an example. 
You guys remember about four years ago, it was around <clears throat> late 2017, early 2018, uh, there was this thing called the Tide Pod Challenge. Are any of you familiar with that? Okay, so uh, if you don't know what a Tide Pod is, it is a tiny, colorful little packet of laundry detergent. And so it's designed to just be able to take it out of the bag, throw it in the laundry, because we as Americans, we want everything done now, right? We don't want to fill up the cup and pour it in. We just want to put the pot in. There we go. Hit the button. I'm good to go. So what happened is um, kids were trying to blow up on the internet like they are always trying to do, right? They didn't really have TikTok back then. It was more like Facebook, YouTube era. But they would take these Tide Pods. They're, they're, they're colorful. And uh, what they would do is they would, uh, they would eat it. They would take a bite. They'd be like... And they, they would film their reaction. And you have to be a real special kind of person to really do that, right? <laughs> really, it's like, come on, guys. You wouldn't just sit there and chug a thing of laundry detergent. It was really sad, though, because there was a lot of hospitalizations there were, um, you know, a lot of calls to the, uh, the, the poison control, obviously. And there was a couple of deaths, which is really sad. But, you know, kids, man, they got to they gotta go out. They got to really go after it. They're like, now this is pod racing. <laughs> Some of you got that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's a Star Wars joke. If you don't get it, it doesn't really matter. But what parent in their right mind would be in a situation where their kid comes up to them and is like, Mommy, Mommy, can you please go buy me a bag of Tide Pods and fill me eating it? Like, what parent in their right mind would be like, Sure, Timmy, I didn't like you anyway. Like, no. Parents, good parents, would say no to that, obviously. Long example, but God knows what's best for us. And ultimately... God, we, sometimes we think of prayer in the context of, please do what's best for me. But also, God will do what's best for his kingdom. And that's important to remember. And sometimes that means saying no to what it is that you think that you want. So how do we learn to trust in God with it? Maybe just think, I don't know, maybe it was a Tide Pod prayer. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Moving on to verse 4. Tremble and do not sin. So Paul actually quotes this in Ephesians 4.26. And the ESV translation of Scripture also translates this as be angry and do not sin. So in Acts, he quotes it as such. And in the ESV, Psalms 4.4 would say, be angry and do not sin. But real quick, let me read you this from Ephesians. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. So, like I said, the ESV, if we were reading this in the ESV right now, Psalms 4, that would say, be angry and do not sin. So, in the New Testament, Ephesians was written in Greek. Old Testament, Psalm was in Hebrews. So, uh, there are different words. And tremble can be within the context of being angry or being fearful. So from that connection in the New Testament makes me to believe that it's talking about the idea of being angry and yet do not sin. 
Although it would make sense, you know, since he is talking to those who are opposing him for him to say, you know, be fearful of God and do not sin, right? But I lean more towards the angry. But regardless, this is a really great example of how we as Christians should respond if we're in a situation similar to David, right? So David in this psalm in particular, what he's wrestling with is that he is being slandered. People are making up stuff about him and his rule and his kingdom and what he's trying to accomplish and his character. They're attacking him. And I don't know, have, have any of you ever been in that situation where you in your, um, not, what's the word, reputation are being attacked? That's, it's not a fun place to be in, Right? But here, we see that as Christians, we're supposed to live differently. We're not supposed to stoop down to that level. My father would always say, roll around in the pig pen and you'll come out smelling like a pig. And that's not to say that we're better than anyone, right? But that's to say that we're called to live opposite of this world. Luke 6, 27 to 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So if you find yourself in a situation where you're being slandered, where people are attacking you, remember this. Do the opposite. God sees that and he recognizes that. And really at the end of the day, our actions flow from our heart. We don't just do things because we just do them. All of our actions have a root cause, that being our heart. So how do we work on our hearts? He talks about this. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. So I love in, in Psalm 1, it talks about, Meditating on the law of the Lord day and night, and he will be like a tree planted by streams of water, focusing on God. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Searching out our own hearts for sin and repenting of those things. These are things that we can do ourselves as Christians as we lie down to go to sleep, meditating in our heart. So real quick, just a, a little side note on the idea of uh, Selah. You see that in verse 2 and in verse 4. Now there's different, bless you, there are different beliefs as to what this means, Selah. But a couple of those things are uh, a pause, a moment of silence and meditation, a crescendo in either the music or the voices that are participating in this song, or sometimes it can be a musical interlude. So for me, it kind of makes sense. All of them make sense. You know, if you're reading this more as a, as a poetry thing, just taking a moment and reflecting. Um, but also the fact that this is designed to be accompanied by stringed instruments. It makes sense for a crescendo or an interlude of music. You know, um, you often see that in, in, in modern worship music. Right, where you have just like an instrumental break. And that's when I look out into the audience and everyone's like, you know, you could use that time 
to focus on the words. And what, what did I just sing? Am I just singing these words just to sing them? Or do you let that, that moment, let that thing sink in? Um, it is kind of hard sometimes when Blaine's like, but, you know, just reel it in a little bit, bud. But I love Blaine. I love Blaine. So let's move on. Verse 5. This is the idea of keeping our eyes focused on God and righteousness. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. I really like how the NASB says, offer the sacrifices of righteousness. Another New Testament connection here. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may prove what the will of God is, which that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Once again, the will of God. The idea that the things that we do, the way we present ourselves, the actions we take, can be a spiritual service of worship. What's always interesting is, as a worship leader, how do I communicate that worship is more than just a song? Well, I preach a sermon and I just tell you it. Right, but another part of that is reminding people, having conversations. Worship is more than just singing music. It is a form of worship. It is a biblically sound form of worship. You see songs all throughout Scripture. But our everyday lives, the ins and outs of our days, can be worship. So there was a monk, and I don't remember what his name is. It would be great if I could remember that. But he did this thing where he tried practicing the presence of God. Now, basically his whole goal was that he wanted to be able to fill his day, his heart, his mind, his thoughts with God. Everything that he did. And when he made this a practice, he said, yeah, I, I failed at this a lot. It's really hard to take every second of every single day and, and dedicate that towards God because we have a lot of things pulling at us. We have a lot of things that distract us in life. And sometimes we, we see it as, okay, read scripture. Yes, Lord, be with me in this situation. Thanks, now I'm going to go deal with this. I got this. I got this one, Right? Seeing God through that lens of everything, right? And that's not a hippie like tree hugging, God is in everything, but viewing our lives in a way where we're bringing God into everything. And when this monk practiced the presence of God, he said, the most everything in life faded into the background because I was solely focused on God. And the most difficult part of my day when I started doing this was wrestling with forgetting him or remembering him in that moment. Everything else just ceased. Everything else 
became less difficult because God was at the forefront of my heart and my mind. Do we live that way? I know I don't. I'm preaching the choir here. So just something to think through as you lead this place. So once again, through verses 2 to 5, David is calling out to his enemies and instructing them to turn to God. So through this whole section, he's saying, hey, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you aim at what's worthless, deception? Do this instead. But as we hear this, we can respond to this ourselves, this charge he sets forth to them. So if you don't have a personal relationship with God, you can repent of your sins. You can make Jesus Lord of your life. Not just something you believe in, someone that you say yes sir to, that you submit to. And allow yourself to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you do have a personal relationship with Christ, and as I look around this room, I'm 99.9% sure that everyone has a personal relationship with Jesus. You're the Wednesday crew, right? Take these words and instructions to heart. Continue to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Take refuge in God in all circumstances. Our walk Sometimes it can be easy to see our walk as Christians as like, okay, I'm checking off the thing, I'm getting the thing done, and good enough for me to get through whatever it is that I need to get through, right? But once again, are we inviting God into that process? Are we continually focusing on him? Are we searching our own hearts for sin? Are we being open? Are we being accountable to other people? Are we making effort in our Christian walk, right? So I want to read verses 6 through 8 as we kind of transition to this other point. So verse 1, he's calling out to God. Verse 2 through 5, he's addressing those sons of men who are slandering him. And then verse 6 through 8, he goes back to the idea of praying to God. So verse 6, many are saying, Who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart. More than when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. So, I really like how the theologian Matthew Henry sums up verses 6 through 8. Let me read this for you. It says, Worldly people inquire for good, not the chief good. All they want is outward good, present good, partial good, good meat, good drink, a good trade, and a good estate. But what are all these worth? Lord, let us have thy favor and let us know that we have it. We desire no more Let us be satisfied of thy loving kindness and we'll be satisfied with it. Many inquire after happiness, but David had found it. I love that. Many inquire after happiness, but David had found it. Verse 7, you see there, 
talks about, you've put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. You know, I, I think of it in modern times as the comforts and spoils of this life and, and food and drink being a part of that. That's, who doesn't like getting a good drink and good food, right? But it, rem- it took me back to this past Sunday as we were in Luke 8. We talked about the idea of the seed that falls into different soil. And what this reminded me of was the seed that falls into the soil and is choked out by the thorns, so just uh, calling back to Sunday here, Luke 8, 14. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. How often do we get choked out by the pleasures and the worries and the riches of this life? Now, we all have things that we like and enjoy in this world, right? We all have hobbies, stuff like that. My hobby in particular is I really like Legos. And some may be like, dude, what are you? You're like 20s, right? I'll be 27 here soon, right? And, and I don't care. I, I like Legos. You know why? Because they're fun. They're like little pieces of artwork. Uh, they're less expensive than a brand new boat, or a brand new gun, right? Um, if I move, all I have to do is break them down and put them in a box, right? It takes up a lot less space. So get at me, but I like my Legos, okay? Whatever. But for uh, Christmas this year, I'm a big present person as well. My wife asked me what I wanted for Christmas, and I told her I wanted the Lego Daily Bugle. And that means nothing to you. Let me explain it. So... It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Marvel set. As you can see, I'm a Marvel guy. And it's the biggest Lego Spider-Man set that they have. It's like, it's, it's about this high from the top of my fingertips to my shoulder. It, it's a big boy. I really like it. And she was kind enough to get it for me because Grace is a big fan of giving practical gifts. She's like, are you sure? Are you sure there's nothing practical that I can't get you? You know, like, I don't know, some pants or like a water bottle, something that I know you'll use and I'm not wasting my money on. So uh, she was very kind and went against her own grain and got me that Lego set. And man, that meant the world to me. I was so happy I got that thing. I was like, yeah! Like I was over at the Lowry's and they remember, I was just like squealing. It was, it was awesome. I was so excited because I never had like a big set like that. So, but what's interesting about that particular gift is that even since the time that I've received it, the allure of it has faded. It sits there on my desk. And this is not grounds for you to say, told you so, I should have gotten you a practical gift. I'm just using this as a sermon illustration, okay? I still like those gifts. So um, it does, it sits, it sits right next to my desk in my office. And now it's starting to collect dust, you know, so I have to go in there and like dust it off, and, you know. But it can break. And when I die, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fade away just like everything else in this world. And yeah, it, it, it does make me happy. I like it. It's like I, I go look at it and I'm like, wow. Oh, look at that. It's the little dude in there. And then sometimes I'll like rearrange the little figures and stuff. I know I'm a nerd. It's okay. It's fine. I embrace it. 
We all have things that we enjoy, the pleasures of life. But do we have anything that chokes out the gladness that the Lord offers to us? Because, to be honest, I can, I'm, I'm easily distractible. Ask anyone in my family, I'm easily distractible. But nothing compares that joy that I spoke of. You, you saw how visually excited I got as I, as I told you about my amazing Christmas present, right? But that has nothing on the gladness that the Lord puts in my heart. Because I know my story. I look back and I, and I relate with David in a lot of ways. There's a lot of things that I've done that I regret. There are a lot of things. But to know that God has saved me, to know that God has invested in me, he loves me, that really touches me. And that brings lasting, satiating gladness into my life. So I just challenge you to think through, is there anything, whether that's a pleasure of life, riches, or worries, that are choking out that gladness that the Lord offers you? In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. Really like verse 8 here. Where are we the most vulnerable than when we lie down to sleep? You know, unless you've got like the strap on you and you're like, yeah, you know. But still, when you're asleep, there's not a time in your life that you are more vulnerable because like, I don't know, military people that like sleep with their eyes open. <laughs> the rest of us aren't built like that, you know. But, and when is the time in our lives that we are most plagued by our anxieties. Because during our day, we could go about things and we could stay busy, busy enough to drown everything out that's going on inside your mind. But when you lay down to sleep, right? All the anxieties and the worries bounce around in your head. But here, verse 8, David says, I will both lie down and sleep. Here, he is making a choice to trust God. He's choosing. He's saying, I will both lie down and sleep. He thinks back when he calls out to God earlier in this, in this chapter, and he says, I remember when you've taken care of me. And all of us have different things that are going on inside of our lives. All of us have things that we're facing. But how often do we trust God 100% with everything that's going on inside of our lives? Many of us lie down, but do we rest in him? Do we trust in him? Do we, do we sleep? Yeah, sure, eventually we may, we may doze off, but we're holding on to everything until we just get tired and doze off. The way that he says it just sounds so, so peaceful. One of my favorite verses and something that I, I pray over people constantly is uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're commanded not to be anxious. We're promised that the peace of God will be with us if we bring those things to the Lord. And how often do we do that? I don't, 
I don't do that perfectly. It's my favorite verse. And I, have, I was sitting in there before I came out here. I was like, do not be anxious about anything, about everything, do not be anxious in anything. You know, so it's, it's much easier said than done at the end of the day, right? But the point remains. God cares. He wants to hear from us. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. I really like how C.H. Spurgeon talks about this passage. And there is something here which should be inexpressibly sweet to the believer. For this shows the minuteness of God's care, the individuality of his love, how it condescends and stoops and acts, not only in the great, but also in the little spheres. I love that. As, he, as David is reaching out to the Lord, he's remembering, he is, he is stating truth as he's praying to the Lord. And in that, it is, it is comforting to him. For you, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Do we view our relationship with God like that? I, I don't a lot. Sometimes I'm, I'm so worried about the future that... I don't think back to my past. I don't think back to those, those past circumstances. But as we talked about earlier in, in this teaching, the idea that hindsight really is 2020, and we can trust in God. We can look back at those things and remember what he has done for us. So God cares. And yes, his judgment and righteousness is shown throughout Scripture, especially as... In the Old Testament, as we'll see as we go into Joshua next week, it's about to get like a bit brutal again, right? Um, but his love and his care is shown through Scripture as well. And we can only see God for who he truly is when we see him as both just and loving. So do we? Do we see God as just and loving? So David, although imperfect, is an example of one who walks down the path of righteousness. David is a man who, in the midst of trouble, chooses to trust God. Do we take refuge in God? Do we choose to take refuge in God? Do we see him as a shield for those who take refuge in him? What's interesting is that here in Psalm 4, it actually doesn't say anything about a shield. It's just something that as I was, as I was sitting through and working through, I just felt like the Holy Spirit kind of put that on my heart. I was like, oh yeah, that does kind of sum up what I'm trying to say really well with it. And I just realized this as I was preparing. I'd read Psalm 3 and Psalm 5 before, but in both of those, in verse Psalm 3, 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. Psalm 5, where does it say? For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield. So just something to think through. Do we choose to take refuge in God? Do we see David as an example of, although someone who is imperfect, someone that walks down the righteous path? I'll leave you with that. So Mark, can you come on up as I, as I close out in prayer? Um, but if any of you have any questions or want to chat with me afterwards, I'm here. Um, if you have any questions about the theology of this, contact Pastor Tom. Um, he'd be happy to you know, 
Whatever. Let me pray. (laughs) Father God, you are good. You are a shield to those who take refuge in you. And we forget that so often. I forget that so often. So I ask and I pray, Father, that you would intercede on behalf of all of us, Holy Spirit. You say that you intercede for words and groanings that we can't know how to say. So we ask and we pray that as we leave this place tonight, Lord, that we would hold on to that one thing from your scripture tonight that stands out with us. Father God, work in our hearts. Help us to see you for who you truly are. You're loving and you are just and you care about us so deeply. Help us to cling to you in that. We praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.